0: This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC, News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, joining you from my home studio that WTIC was generous enough to set up so I did not need to come to the TIC studios. Uh, As many of our regular listeners know, today would be the 12th show we have done with respect to COVID-19, and there just seems to be more and more information, as well as misinformation out there. So one of our jobs here is to really bring you up to date and give you just the basic information that you need to understand what's going on. Today is April 25th, 2020, and It is the fifth birthday for my granddaughter, Audrey Katarathara. And it's amazing that these young children have had to adapt, as we all have, to this. Hopefully, she's enjoying a Zoom birthday party, something we never even thought about before. So this has really affected all of us and has caused all of us to adapt and to change. And that's one of the things we do best. One of the things that's been coming up a lot this week has been, will COVID-19 come back in the fall? Well, I have news for everybody. It's not going away. So some people seem to think it's going to go away and come back. It's not. It's going to be with us. And the question becomes, will it peak again in the fall? And that's the discussion. So let me try to give you a little overview of what's going on here. Basically... The best analogy I could come up with is we're in the middle of a knife fight okay, against this virus. And the only tools we have to fight this enemy are an effective treatment or a vaccine. Until then, we need to isolate. That's all there is to it. The basic three things that we talk about on this program all the time are identification, isolation, contact tracing. What have we done to identify the virus? Because that is going to be key. You have to know where your enemy is if you're going to attack it. And that has been the problem. So a lot of what we're hearing about at the federal and state level is, where is the testing? And we're getting mixed messages. I mean, I listen to the broadcasts in the evening uh, from the federal level, and they keep showing us charts of how much capacity we have to test. There's a lot of capacity. Let me explain to you what's going on from the ground up, because I'm on these calls on a regular basis here in the state of Connecticut. The analogy I use is, if you can imagine, the federal government gives everyone in the United States a car. Suddenly, the president becomes the king of cars. He gives everybody a car. But none of those cars have tires, and the, the instructions are, you need to go get your own tires. And by the way, there are a limited supply of tires. You're going to compete with other people to get those tires. And you're going to compete with the federal government to get those tires. So what does it mean? It means that you now have the capacity to drive. So the federal government is saying, well, we gave everybody a car, so they now have the capacity to drive. But in actuality, we can't go anywhere with that car. And that's the problem we're facing. To do adequate testing, to identify this virus, you need to have a series of things to run these tests. You need the swabs, you need the transport medium that you put the swab in, you need reagents, and you need the hardware. So basically, we have a lot of hardware. There are at least four or five different companies that make hardware that are present in all our labs. In your hospital lab, at Quest, at LabCorp, wherever that is, the hardware is there. But unfortunately, each one of those pieces of hardware runs on a different type of reagent, and it's hard to get those because you're competing for those. And the tests do a variety of things. They can test to see if you have the virus in some cases one to two hours, some in 24 hours, some take 48 hours. So what happens is you really need to get that testing level up. And here in Connecticut, um, for, in particular, Hartford Hospital announced this week that they have a partnership with Quest Diagnostics. So far, they've only been able to do 500 tests a day They're hoping to get up to 2,000 tests a day. The federal government keeps talking about how we're going to be able to do thousands of tests a day. But in actuality, we need to be doing millions of tests a day. So we're missing this by an order of magnitude. Now, I'm not saying everybody in the United States needs to be tested. But let's get to basics. When a patient comes in the hospital, no matter what they have, they should be tested for COVID-19, so you'll know where to put them. Do they go in a floor that's designated for people with COVID-19, so certain precautions are taken, or do they go to a regular floor? As opposed to other illnesses, once you test somebody for COVID-19 and they go outside, they could get it then. So you need to test people often. So, where should you start with testing? You should start testing the people who are most vulnerable. Those are one, the healthcare workers on the line. Those include, in addition, you need to test first responders, you need to test people who are in nursing homes, people who are at risk, elderly people, and people in nursing homes. So you start with the people who are most at risk. And until we get to that, we don't know where the enemy is. The next type of testing that we'll talk a little bit about is testing for antibodies. We're looking at that all the time. We're hearing terms like asymptomatic carriers. People who have the antibody may have had the virus at some time and are now showing that they have the antibody to the virus but never had symptoms. So there are a variety of tests to do. So does everyone need the acute test? Probably not. Should everyone start to think about getting tested for antibodies? Well, that's going to be key for us going forward. But again, until we decide on what the treatment is, and hopefully that'll be soon, Some of the studies are coming out. Some of the initial studies, originally it was thought chloroquine or hydrochloroquine were going to be the panacea. Um, It doesn't look like that's the case, but the large VA study and the study organized in Albany are going to be coming out this week to tell us more about that treatment. Are there other treatments? There are many. But we need to come together and figure this out. And right now, the biggest need is to get identification Get the testing rolling so that people can be tested, and especially those people who have the antibody and are willing to help others. With that, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest. My guest today is going to be Dr. Adam Steinberg. Dr. Steinberg is the Vice President of Medical Affairs for the Hartford region of Hartford HealthCare. Uh, We're going to be talking about what's going on at Hartford HealthCare at the local level to help all of us during this COVID-19 crisis. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. I'm going to give you the phone numbers now. We're going to open up the phones in the second half of the program after the bottom of the hour news. Phone numbers here, 860 860- 860 522-9842 and 1-800-966-9842. You can also reach me at any time at info at And we'll be going over some of the questions I've gotten at info, um, that info line, as well as your live questions. Next up is my guest, Dr. Adam Steinberg. Dr. Steinberg is the Vice President of Medical Affairs for the Hartford region of Hartford HealthCare. Uh, In addition to his administrative position, he's a practicing physician. He is a urogynecologist um, in practice at Hartford HealthCare. Uh, I've become familiar with Dr. Steinberg. We've never met, but uh, every morning at 1030, he is uh, one of the coordinators of a conference call that I'm on, and I have found very interesting and very informative. So I thought we'd bring him on to uh, share some of that information with all our listeners. Dr. Steinberg, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I hope um, you having a great day.
0: You know, it, it's great hearing your voice again. It's, I'm so used to hearing it on the phone at this <laughs> conference call. Um, but let's talk a little bit. So how did you get into this role um, from being a practicing physician and suddenly you're an administrative, clearly a, a very important leadership role at Hartford at HealthCare? How did that all evolve?
1: So throughout my career, I've, I've evolved and, and changed my roles, um, always having my clinical role, but uh, adding more leadership. Um, and I've enjoyed uh, those responsibilities and uh, also had a component for a while, uh, was heading up quality um, at Hartford Hospital, um, and then have evolved into my current role, which is the vice president of medical affairs for the hospital. Um, and I, I think it's it's a very rewarding role. It's um, definitely has has been a lot of work, but it's been very fulfilling uh, working with all, all the great healthcare workers that I work with day in and day out.
0: So, a lot of the discussion in the morning conference has been around testing. Uh, more recently, yeah. <laughs> Hartford Healthcare has partnered with Quest as well as with Jackson Labs to increase testing. Can you give our listeners a sense of what the struggle has been like in terms of getting adequate testing?
1: So, so you know, obviously, and I think some of the sentiments that were said prior to this this uh, aspect of, of the conversation, I think testing is a very key component. Um, the availability of testing for specifically COVID nineteen. Um, was in, was a limited. It's getting better. Uh, we still need more, um, but we're definitely in a much better place than we've been, um, and it's going to be a key component to our new world um, and how we move forward in that new world uh, that we're living in uh, with COVID-19.
0: So, can you tell our listeners who gets tested? Uh, you know, the criteria have had to change over time. Um, previously, you had to have symptoms, you had to have a prescription and order from a Hartford healthcare physician to go through the drive-throughs. What are the requirements now if someone wanted to be tested?
1: So um, I think that's a great question, and and the evolution of that was somewhat related to the knowledge of the disease state, but also somewhat not uh, related to the volume of testing that was available, not only for Hartford, but throughout the country. Um, as we've been able to expand our testing and have a better understanding of our disease state, um, all providers, not just Hartford healthcare providers, but also all providers um, are able to order um, testing for their patients. Uh, for those non Hartford healthcare providers, it's a simple email, um, and, we, and, and our, our call center will we'll set that up for the patients so they get the testing. Um, Our testing centers, um, right now we have five, but that's going to be expanding. Um, Those hours, uh, for all all of them are 8 to 4, and for uh, in the Hartford area, it's 7 to 7. And we're also working on potentially getting some mobile units uh, together uh, to help with with testing uh, in in all areas. And we're going to be expanding those testing uh, areas throughout the state. Um, But who's getting testing? Uh, initially, obviously it was for those that had symptoms um, and there, and people who were calling our call center and we were guiding them through that. As we and remember, there are different types of testing, and I, we were talking you were talking a little bit about that before. There's the PCR or, or polymerase chain reaction testing, which is really saying whether they, they can see the genomic makeup of COVID-19 if that's present. And that tells you, that there is, there is uh, a disease or a COVID-19 going on. And then there's the ser- serologic testing, which is looking at those antibodies. And there are different types of antibodies. There's the IgM, which are the antibodies that initially you'll get when you uh, have that infection in the beginning. Um, and then there's some antibodies that come a little bit later, which are called IgG. And those with, with other disease states, such as hepatitis or mumps, measles, and rubella, we know by looking at those IgGs, and the levels that you have in your blood, whether you have immunity. Now, what we don't know now with COVID-19 is when you have those IgGs, what level it has to be to, to be immune. Um, so right now we're at the beginning phases of that, of just identifying even if they're present. Unfortunately, and as we move forward, hopefully very quickly, we'll have an appreciation whether having those IgGs gives you that immunity, um, that, which is that answer that obviously we would all want to know moving forward.
0: Dr. Steinberg, in relation to that testing, I get requests all the time and questions all the time regarding uh, how to donate convalescent plasma. Um, is there a program, is there a way for people who have known that they had COVID-19, have uh, lasted the three-week and set out the three-week period? Um, how do, How could somebody go about donating their plasma to help someone else?
1: So first of all, I think that's a great question for anyone who's interested in doing that, please do. Um, In Hartford HealthCare, to date, um, we've given 36 units of plasma uh, to 34 patients, Um, and we're still – these are all part of studies, but this is is an up-and-coming therapy. Um, The two ways that I would recommend – one is going on the Hartford HealthCare uh, COVID-19 page, and there's some links there – that can take you to 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 donate. The other is going on the www.uscovidplasma.org, um, which which would help. And there's a place there to that you'd be interested in donating. Um, I think the more people that we can have donate that are able to and meet the criteria, the better it will be uh, for the options of treatments for our patients in the acute care setting.
0: Dr. Steinberg, I want to thank you. Thank you for joining us today, and, and I specifically want to thank you and all the folks over at Hartford HealthCare and other hospitals here in Connecticut who have really taken on leadership roles and helping to keep us informed about what's going on and how we can remain safe and healthy. Thank you for your time, and thank you for those morning calls. I appreciate them.
1: <laughs> thank you. though will still be going on on Monday, so thank you very much.
0: All right. That was Dr. Adam Steinberg, who's the vice president of medical affairs for the Hartford region of Hartford Healthcare, and uh, the wonderful work going on there. Uh, and, and by the way, when you go to the hospital now, if you could go to visit someone um, or you need to have something done. And again, the visits are limited. I don't, I don't even know if anybody can visit right now. Uh, but when you go to the hospital, they are checking temps. All the employees get their temps checked as one of the precautions. I mean, again, you could be an asymptomatic carrier. We're learning so much about this disease every day, and that's why we're here. Just to quickly touch the statistics, as of this morning, there are 23,921 reported cases in Connecticut. That's an increase of 821 cases in the last 24 hours. Regrettably, 1,764 fellow Connecticut citizens have passed away from this virus. In the United States, 927,000 cases, 52,000 lives have been lost so far from COVID-19. Globally, 2.8 million cases, 197 deaths. Sobering numbers, but something we need to keep in mind as we move forward. We're going to take calls in the second half of the program, 860-522-9842, 1-800-966-9842. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And the phone number's here, 860-522-9842. And 1-800-966-9842. Uh, we have some questions on the line. We have Steve from Waterbury. We're going to take the question, uh, then disconnect, and I will answer it. So just give us your question in entirety, and, and we'll get to it, barring any technical difficulties. Steve, you had a question. Hey,
2: hey, doctor, actually, three quick points uh, to sure. for, like, a question. One, I understand they're looking at training dogs to detect a the virus. They've been working on that. There was a report about type blood ohmite. Only- Uh, People with that type of uh, blood might actually do better with this disease, which goes into my question about the blood clots that that seem to be detected. I guess they're actually might be administering blood thinners with a lot of patients when they first come in. I don't know if you have any background on any of that.
0: Okay, Steve, actually, all three great questions. Um, I did not know about uh, having dogs detect the virus, but... Um, I do have some familiarity with the tremendous gifts of dogs, especially when it comes to epilepsy and things such as that. So it could be that a person who has the virus gives off a certain scent and it can be detected. That would be very interesting. Unfortunately, that wouldn't be the type of really quantitative and qualitative testing we need in order to move forward with treatment. Uh, But very, very interesting point. Um the blood types, I have not heard that it is particular to a specific blood type. I don't think we know that yet, and I think it goes to the point um, that there's a lot we don't know about this. But I do know about the blood clotting, and that has been a problem right from the outset. As a neurologist, we deal with a lot of patients who have clotting problems and subsequently stroke so it was felt in the neurologic community that it was only a question of time when we would start seeing strokes. What we didn't expect were that so many of these strokes would occur in young people related to COVID-19. So with respect to neurology, and actually we're going to be talking about that on next week's show, um, I plan on talking about the neurologic complications of COVID-19. Uh, I think that we have a lot we've heard this week. There was a uh, Tony Award-winning performer who lost his leg um, because of increased clotting. So I don't think that we have figured out the exact type, the blood type, or who is at more risk for the blood clotting problems. But all very interesting points, Steve, uh, that we should be following soon. Next up, we have Tony from Wellington. Tony?
2: Hi. Hi. Um... I have a question. My wife is going in for surgery in Hartford Hospital on Wednesday, um, eye surgery, and she was told that she needed a, a test, a coronavirus test. Um, so she's driving into Hartford Hospital this morning. And I'm wondering if that test will, is it going to pick up only if she has uh, like the disease, she shows no symptoms of any kind. So would it pick up if she has the disease now and is like asymptomatic? Um, and would it pick up if she had, uh, you know, a bad cold in February? Would it show that she had a cold and is, produces antibodies, antibodies for it? Or would it also pick up if she has none of the above But has naturally occurring antibodies, um, and would which one of those things would prevent the surgery? Only if she has a current disease, or I mean, the the current virus.
0: Okay, great.
2: Basically, my question.
0: Great, great question, Tony. So, she's going in uh, to have a test called, as Dr. Steinberg mentioned, the PCR, the polymerase chain reaction test which takes about 48 hours to get a result of, um, and is kind of the easiest one to do. That test looks for a protein in the active virus. So it will only tell us if your wife has the virus. Is she infectious? And in her case, she would be an asymptomatic carrier, someone without symptoms who is carrying the virus. And may be able to spread that virus. So with that, since it is most likely elective surgery, since they're waiting and doing that test, uh, since you can wait 48 hours, because it's elective surgery, they would most likely reschedule the surgery and not take a risk and wait till she tests negative. If she tests negative now, they will go ahead with the surgery. So it's an important test from the health standpoint of your wife as in terms of her health and also for the facility to know how to treat her. One of the problems we were having and has now been rectified because we have more testing available at Hartford hospital was that people were coming into the hospital for treatment, but not being tested because we didn't have enough tests. We would then find out that before being released from a hospital. It's not just Hartford hospital, any hospital uh, before being released from the hospital to go to a rehabilitation center or convalescent center, they'd have to be tested. So they would come in for something not related to COVID-19, say a fracture, a, a fractured bone. And suddenly they're being tested as positive. So this whole time they may have been shedding virus in the hospital. So again, That's why we're so careful about isolation and using masks. So it's really those asymptomatic carriers. So hopefully your wife is negative and will be able to go ahead and have her surgery. That test will not tell us if she had the antibodies um, in the past related to a previous cold that she may have had in February. Um, Great question, Tony. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, was a New York Times opinion piece uh, on April 20th uh, this week from Dr. Richard Levitin. And Dr. Levitin uh, wrote an opinion piece that was very good and very informative. He's an emergency room doctor. He's been an ED doc for 30 years. Uh, He is now retired, uh, living in New Hampshire. And he volunteered to go back to New York, to Bellevue Hospital, where he did his medical school training, to go back. And his particular expertise is in performing intubations. And what he found when he got there and discussing it with his colleagues is that they were not detecting these deadly pneumonias early enough. And by the time they detected these pneumonias, People were requiring a respirator. The goal here is to try and keep people off of a respirator. Do whatever you can ahead of time. So what happened was he found that patients who didn't report any breathing problems were showing symptoms of pneumonia. An example he gave was a patient came in the emergency department with a stab wound. Nothing to do with COVID-19. They did a chest x-ray. And found that this patient had a florid pneumonia and subsequently did have COVID-19. So what's happening is these patients are developing what we term a silent hypoxia. So there's a pneumonia that's ongoing without symptoms. And gradually they're losing their ability to breathe, to oxygenate their blood. So when they become short of breath, by the time they become short of breath, they are in an extreme crisis and now requiring intubation. The best way to get in front of that is with a very simple device you can get at any pharmacy called a pulse oximeter. Many people have had that. It's the thing you put on your index finger, and it measures your heart rate as well as the oxygen level of your blood. Uh, A normal number would be 94% to 100% at sea level. So what has happened is if you're sick at home and have COVID-19, but don't need to go to the hospital, you should be checking this pulse oximetry to see if it goes down. So what was happening was people were at home, they were sick, diagnosed, but then would develop shortness of breath. By the time they develop shortness of breath, that's what brought them to the emergency department and they were already critically ill. So really the widespread use of a simple device like a pulse oximeter can truly be life-saving and it's as simple as a thermometer. And I don't think enough has been said about this device and how life-saving it could be. And he really brought that home in his piece. So I want people to understand that. And it's something that is especially important if people are having symptoms at home that they should be monitoring this multiple times throughout the day. And when it starts to show a steady decline, you need to get to the emergency department, even if you're not having shortness of breath. With that, we're going to take a a short break, and then I'm going to be back and uh, uh, take questions. Uh, I have Joe on the line. We'll get to him as soon as we can. And some questions that have come in on the info line. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And uh, we're taking your questions in this uh, final segment of the program. We have Joe from Berlin. Uh, Joe, you had a question.
2: Hey, Doc. Thanks for uh, this public service. there's an assumption that the virus was uh, produced in the lab in China. And I was wondering, doesn't that give us an advantage of getting more knowledge about this virus than opposed of it being produced in a fish market?
0: Uh, good question. Uh, I guess when we get back to where it comes from, uh, you know, the knowledge we really have about it is the structure, the genomic structure, and how it's made, no matter where it came from. Um, It wasn't something, if it came from the lab, they're only saying that it leaked from the lab where they were doing research on the virus. The virus is the virus is the virus. And we still don't know a lot about the virus, uh, but we do, we have been able to at least isolate the genomic structure of it Um, the proteins of it. And that's why we're able to test for it. So we're learning about a lot about it. I I think it's a good point. But whether it came from the market or it came leaked out from a lab where they were doing research on it, it's still the same virus. And we've still got the same enemy. And we're still at a deficit here. Um, As I said at the beginning of the program, You know, we're in a battle with no weapons, and so the virus is going to do what it wants, and we've not really had a way of controlling it. Um, The next question I want to get to is one uh, from Marie, who has sent me other questions and comments before. It does a great job, and um, her question for me was, uh, do you know if Connecticut has started any public antibody testing yet? And if so, are are they free, and do you know where, when, and how they're being made? Her point is really that if these blood platelet transfusions can help, um, many people, including herself, would be happy to donate and be able to help people out. And uh, Marie, I I admire your willingness to jump into the battle and, and help out. Unfortunately, we're limited in, again, how much testing we can do. So what is being done is they're starting with people who have known to, who are known to have had COVID-19. So someone has had COVID-19, it's been documented, their symptoms clear, and they wait a period of three weeks. In that three-week period, your body is producing these antibody proteins, the immunoglobulins that Dr. Steinberg talked about to a sufficient amount to the point where then they will test you and take those out of your bloodstream and be able to donate them. And with that donation, it usually helps about four people. And the studies are ongoing. So again, we think that study, that type of treatment has a great deal of promise. Our our limitations are the fact that we're not able to just go out and test everybody yet. If that were the case, this would be a potent tool. So um, I would say, Marie, stay tuned, because uh, we're going to be hearing more about that. Um, In closing today, uh, there was another question that uh, was not necessarily posed to me. It was uh, from a gentleman by the name of J.T. Lewis, and it was on uh, Twitter. He uh, actually retweeted one of his own tweets, uh, somewhat odd, but... Um, his tweet was unpopular take. Didn't nurses and doctors sign up for this? Now, Mr. Lewis is a candidate uh, for he's a 19 year old college freshman, I found out, who's running for the state Senate here in Connecticut. And uh, in answer to his questions, uh, his question of didn't nurses and doctors sign up for this? The answer is a resounding no. No. Um, as much as he goes on to say he has respect for them, he feels that we signed up for this job. And it's a resounding no, because what we signed up for was to provide health care. We took an oath to care for and protect the health of our patients. We did not sign up to put our own health and the health of our families in jeopardy. That wasn't part of the deal. The best analogy I could come up with for this situation are are school teachers. School teachers sign up to teach young people. But sadly, increasingly, they have had to protect their students from gunmen entering schools. Now they do that, but that's not part of the job. So... I think Mr. Lewis needs to understand that it's really when people take on extraordinary responsibilities and risks in a crisis situation that really defines a hero. And that's why we're looking to these nurses and doctors and the EDs and on the front line as heroes. Because guess what? They didn't sign up for this. But they're willing to go out and do it. So, with that, uh, let's just. We have time for one more question. We have uh, Ted on the line from Wallingford. Ted, do you have a question? Hi, hi, doctor. Uh, Yesterday, Rush Limbaugh and a caller said a person could build up an immunity to this. Is that true? Uh, 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 So, I guess, uh, so I don't understand what Rush Limbaugh meant by building up an immunity. Um, so do you build, the only way you get an immunity is to be subjected to the infection or part of the infection. So when you develop a vaccine, the old days used to be when they did smallpox was to subject you to the actual germ. The next way was to take a protein from the uh, germ itself to develop a vaccine to build up an immunity. The third way, and how we do it now, is to use the messenger RNA from the genome so that it's less likely that you will get the disease and be able to build up an immunity. That's a vaccine. So uh, the only way that you can build an immunity is if you subject your immune system to a trigger. Something has to trigger it. And the only thing that could be triggering it is the genetic part of the virus itself. So if the thought was, well, if I do more push-ups or I eat certain foods, I could build up an immunity to this, that's absolutely incorrect. But uh, many of us uh, can be asymptomatic carriers. And there's a whole explanation for that, and I really would like to spend a lot of time on that on next week's show to really go over the phases of building up an immunity because it's fascinating and it's affecting so many people now uh, that I think it's worth a more in-depth discussion that we'll have next week. With that, Ted, I want to thank you very much for that. Um, In closing today, I want to thank, as always, my guest, Dr. Adam Steinberg. I want to thank Mike Olko, who's been on the board, who really makes this possible. He and Joey Burgoyne um, for letting me work at home and and continue to have this show. Uh, Jeff Chandler's in in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. If you missed any part of today's program, you can get it on the Healthy Rounds podcast. You download that on iTunes or at radio.com. With that, we're hearing the word liberate a lot. And I think the challenge today is, let's think of that word, liberate. Now is the time. Now that we're home, I think it's a good time for us to try and liberate. Liberate our hearts. Liberate our minds. Liberate our souls. So that we can all become better at whatever it is we intend to do when this is over. Let us all become better people at the end of this. With that, I thank you for your time. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi. Sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford HealthCare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC, News Talk 1080, and WTIC.com.